Well, good morning, and thank you for joining us on this special Easter Sunday worship service. Now, for most of us, this is a very different Good Friday and Easter than I think any of us have ever experienced before in our lives. You know, for myself, I don't think I've ever once missed a single Easter Sunday service in my entire 37 years of life. Like, you could check with my parents, but I'm pretty sure since I was born, I have not missed a single service. And I'm pretty sure there's many of you out there who could say the same thing. And so, today, even though our church buildings are empty, this Easter Sunday, so too is Jesus' tomb. And that's what makes all the difference. The tomb is empty, and Jesus is alive. And now in just a moment, I want to lead us in a centuries-old tradition, one that we do every year at Easter, and uh, that's where I, as, as the pastor, say, Christ is risen, and then you, the congregation, reply, he is risen indeed. Now, granted, it's going to seem a little odd. You're wherever you are in a living room or, or watching on a laptop somewhere. I'm here with an empty building. However, I want this to be something that our spirits still call out, that he is risen. He is risen indeed. And so I want to encourage you, wherever you are, speak out and proudly declare this life-changing truth. He is risen indeed. So are you ready? Here we go. Three, two, one. Christ is risen. Yeah, I think I heard you. In fact, I'm certain that I heard Paul Reimer because that guy, he's the loudest he has risen indeed I've ever heard in my life. I'm pretty sure I heard Paul just now. Now, as I've said many times before, as we do these things, it seems a little strange to not be physically together. But we need to remember that just because we're not gathered here at the building does not mean that we cease to be the church. It's not this building, but the people, the, the followers of Jesus Christ, binded together in unity and love by the Holy Spirit, we make up the body of Christ wherever we are. And so let's remember that as we continue to pray for each other and seek ways to still connect, whether that's through a phone call an email, a, a, a FaceTime message, whatever technology you're using, let's keep connecting and keep encouraging each other and praying for each other in this challenging time. Also for receiving the offering, we are providing you with two simple ways to continue to give of your regular tithes or offerings. First, you can mail a check to Clarny Mennonite Church, P.O. Box 969, Clarny, Manitoba, R0K1G0. Or secondly, you can still drop off your offering uh, in person here at the church. There is an offering box located in the church foyer. Would you now bow with me and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this single truth that changes everything. The grave is empty. Jesus is alive. It doesn't matter what is happening in our world, what circumstances we are surrounded by, what trials we face collectively or personally, you are alive. And because of you, we too are alive. Our souls are alive. And we will live forever with you in eternity. 
We thank you for this living hope that we are reminded of this Easter Sunday, 2020, a year just like any other where we need this good news so badly. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, would you just encourage our spirits with this single truth? Jesus is alive, and nothing will ever change that. No circumstance or trial that we have, have yet to face could even put a dent in it. You are alive forever. And so we thank you for this. And so I pray, Lord, today that even though this church building is empty, the empty tomb will make our souls sing, make our hearts soar, and that we will lift our voices in worship and praise to you. And so, Father, I just pray for everyone out there today, wherever they are in their homes, I pray for your presence to be very real. Would you fill each home? Would you give joy on this most joyful of days, remembering your resurrection? your victory over death, Satan, and sin once for all, and that we can lay hold of it through faith. And so, Father, as we, as we lift our hearts to you today, would you pour out your blessing? Would you pour out your blessing upon our nation? As we intercede for Canada, we pray, Father, would you heal our land? Would you bring about the solution? Lord, for you are, and you alone are the one who can bring about an end to a, to a a virus, to a pestilence, to anything else, Lord, it is only you. And so, Father, we lift our prayers to you and we ask for mercy. We ask for healing. And most of all, Lord, we pray that in these times, would you turn our hearts back to you. We pray for Clarny. Would you move those around us who have not yet turned to you in faith to lift their hearts to you, even today, even in the hearing of your word in these times. And so, Lord Jesus, we pray that you would call sinners to repentance, and may we, your children, continue to be thankful to you for what you have done for us. And so now I would invite you to pray along with me wherever you are the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. I invite you now to take your Bibles and turn with me to our scripture reading for today, taken from John's Gospel, chapter 20, verses 1 to 18. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes but Mary stood outside the tomb, crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, 
and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord, and she told them that he had said these things to her. So far the reading of God's word. Would you now bow with me once more, and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this incredible word, that this word that we can build our lives upon is a firm foundation. And so now I just ask, Holy Spirit, would you speak through me in this time, and would you speak and prepare each heart and mind to receive this word? I pray that you would bless it, and that they would come from you. Would you speak through me, your servant, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I've entitled this sermon for today, The One Sure Thing. Now, as many of you know, I'm a graduate of Bethany College. Bethany College is located in the booming metropolis of Hepburn, Saskatchewan, population of 562 people. The Bible School was founded way back in 1927 as Bethany Bible Institute. And so when I enrolled there in the fall of 2001, the school appeared to me to be about as permanent and unshakable a fixture on the landscape as the Turtle Mountains are. Something that would just always be there. A place where I might even be able to send my children to Bible school someday. Never once did the thought cross my mind that the school could one day close. But then, years later in the fall of 2014... Word began to emerge that due to year-over-year declines in student enrollment, coupled together with a host of other factors, the school was in deep financial trouble and was actually considering closure. A Bible school's existence that had once seemed so certain to me, so, so fixed, uh, just it was not even something that I would consider a possibility of it closing, had suddenly hit me. And something that once seemed certain was now uncertain. And the one thing I once thought utterly imaginable then happened. I got the email. The closure was announced and final. And so after 88 years of teaching students across all of Canada and even into the United States from God's word, after 88 years... The class of 2014-2015 would be Bethany College's last, at least in that current format. I, along with many others, was shocked and saddened. For Leanne and I, it meant having to lay to rest that, that hope that maybe someday we could send our own kids to school there. And so we attended that final commencement ceremony in the spring of 2015, and we attended with somewhat heavy hearts. Blanketing this normally celebratory time of graduation was this sense of loss and grief 
and it was shared by all of the staff and alumni. Then at the close of the final ceremony, after all of the final words had been said and all of the final songs had been sung and the prayers had been prayed, we were dismissed. And then over the sound system, they began to play a rather upbeat song by The Color entitled, The One Sure Thing. Now, at that point, I had never heard that song before. And so at first glance, and I, and I hear this cheerful song playing over the speakers, it just seemed to me this really odd choice for such a solemn occasion. For the very last time, class was dismissed. And we left with heavy hearts with this cheerful music playing over the PA system. But as the song played, they began to display the words across the projector screens. And I began to read the words, and they just jumped out and grabbed my attention. And suddenly, this, this song that seemed so unlikely made perfect sense. I've never forgotten the words or that moment. The song goes like this. Feels like I'm walking a world that's shifting like sand, looking for a solid stone where I can stand. Feels like a fog where so many believe nothing is certain but uncertainty. But Jesus, my eyes are on you. It's clear to me, you are the constant, and you won't change. The one sure thing, the one sure thing. You are the promise that never will break. The one sure thing, the one sure thing. The fear that has held me is starting to fade. You are my strength. I can take on these days in a world that's unraveling. You're the one sure thing. And just as I found those words to be so fitting and so powerful at the closing ceremony of Bethany College, they also seem especially applicable to our world's time of crisis right now in a world that's unraveling. Doesn't it seem like that some days? It just feels like each day you, you, you hear the news and it just seems to get darker and harder and, and the, the light at the end of the tunnel just seems to be getting further and further away of these circumstances that we're facing. And so as I was thinking about these things, I was reminded of that moment back at Bethany College. For just as I thought that its existence was this sure thing in my life that I could always count on, it wasn't. And in the same way, so many things that we once thought of uh, not very long ago, things that we thought of as just sure things, like going to school, going to work, going to youth group, go, go, coming here to church, going to the coffee shop, going on holidays, running a business, playing sports, watching sports, having a stable economy, having a graduation ceremony having family gatherings on Easter, even something as simple as giving someone a handshake or a hug. All of these things and just many, many more, things that we once just assumed as permanent and unshakable fixtures in the landscape of our lives, all of these things have suddenly been exposed to not be sure things after all. And all it took was one global health crisis, and suddenly, our lives have been changed drastically in the span of just one month. And all around us, in almost every single sphere of life, we are mired in this fog of uncertainty. We just don't know what the future holds. 
But my friends, in this world that seems to be unraveling at the seams and seems to be just like shifting like sand, let me tell you this. On this Easter Sunday, 2020, what is the one thing that has not changed? Well, the one thing that has not changed, as I said earlier, is this. The tomb is still empty. Jesus is still alive. And that one thing changes everything. For it means that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross still paid for our debt of sin in full. It means that Jesus' resurrection still defeated death once for all. It means that Jesus is still, still inviting sinners to come to him and receive the free gift of salvation and become a child of God. It means that Jesus is still calling each of his disciples to follow him daily in faith, one step at a time. It means that Jesus is still with us to the very end of the age. He hasn't gone anywhere. And it means that Jesus has still ascended to the right hand of the Father, still interceding on our behalf, and still coming coming back again for us one day. And yes, my friends, Jesus is still the same yesterday, today, and forever. And as the song declared, in this world that's unraveling, Jesus Christ is the one sure thing. Build your life on that, my friends. Not on what your news is telling you. Not on what other people are saying. Build your life on the one sure thing. And that is Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but with all of this bad news that keeps piling up, even just this last week, I needed to be reminded this week of this very good news that will never, ever change. The tomb is empty. Jesus is alive. And because he lives, I live. And my life is hidden safe and secure in him for today, for tomorrow, and for eternity. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19, referring to God's promise of salvation for all those who place their faith in Jesus, God's word says this, Hebrews 6, 19, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. You see, this is the living hope of salvation in Jesus Christ, the only thing which can anchor our soul firm and secure. No matter how strong the storms might rage around us, this anchor is strong enough that we will not be washed away because we are anchored firm and secure on the rock of our salvation, which is none other than Jesus Christ. So you see, my friends, the living hope of Easter isn't just the hope of some naive fool. It's not just wishing upon a star. It's not just some optimist who blindly wants to believe good news. No, this is the kind of living hope that meets us in the real world right where we are today. Challenges, struggles, crises, and all. For as we read earlier from the Gospel of John, and I invite you to turn in your Bibles there with me, In the Gospel of John chapter 20, we read in the resurrection story that it doesn't begin 
in the light of day where everything's good and, and, and bright. No, it begins in the darkness and then in the gloom and in the despair of loss right before the dawn. The story begins not with joy, but with an utterly devastated and heartbroken individual, a woman named Mary Magdalene. Mary was from the town of Magdala, located along the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee. When we were in Israel, we got to travel by, but the site hadn't been excavated fully yet. I've heard it has now, and they've actually found where she lived. Now, Mary of Magdalene was not exactly what you would call a traditionally religious or good person. Many scholars, in fact, speculate that Mary Magdalene was the woman caught in adultery who was brought before Jesus to be stoned, and that she may also have been the woman who anointed Jesus' feet with her tears and rich perfume and washed them with her hair. But neither of the women from those accounts are named, so we cannot be certain if it was her. However, what we can be certain of is what we read about her in Mark chapter 16, verse 9. It says, now when Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. And so here we we read and we know that before meeting Jesus, at some point in her life, Mary Magdalene had become not only oppressed, but possessed by, by not one, but seven demons. One for every day of the week. Seven demons. Now, we're not given further details on how this came to be, how she opened herself up to this demonic possession. We're also not told how these demons afflicted her. But undoubtedly, they would have been inflicting inner turmoil in her mind, in her heart, in her spirit. They they would have been causing her to, to say and to do vile things, perhaps even violent things, that she wouldn't otherwise have wanted to do or to say. And so in the most real possible sense, Mary Magdalene had been held captive by evil, sin, and Satan. And now we don't know what else Mary Magdalene or her friends would have done to try to deal with this demonic possession, to try to heal her. But clearly, whatever she or her friends had tried, whatever had been done, had not worked. Mary was simply not powerful enough to gain victory over this enemy on her own. She needed someone stronger, someone greater, to give her the victory. And then one day, Mary meets Jesus. And the seven demons would have become frightened and agitated, for they knew who Jesus really was. They knew him from his unveiled glory when they had been before his throne room in heaven. And the demons would have instantly known they didn't stand a chance against the king of glory. Now, we don't know exactly how Mary's exorcism went down. We're not told those details. Perhaps, as in other accounts where Jesus cast out demons, the demons begged Jesus for mercy, not to be cast into the abyss. Perhaps, as in other accounts, they they named Jesus, saying, we know who you are, Son of God, and Jesus had to silence them. Perhaps upon leaving, like in some cases, they shrieked on the way out, or perhaps they just left 
with a sigh of resignation. But whatever the case, when Jesus came into the scene, when Jesus met Mary for the first time, those seven demons, one for every day of the week, they had no choice but to leave. And they were gone, and they were not coming back. Now, seven against one may not seem like a fair fight, but when the one is the Son of God, the King of glory, it's no contest. And 1 John chapter 1, verse 4 says, Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. So Mary Magdalene could not overcome this demonic enemy herself, but that day Jesus won the battle for her. And that day changed everything for Mary. She was delivered, healed, saved, and truly set free for the first time in her entire life. Jesus had done something for her that no one else had the capability or the power to do. Mary knew it. Mary had experienced Jesus' incredible, life-changing power. He had set her free, and Mary would never, ever forget what he had done for her. No one had ever owed Jesus more. And it's quite possible no one ever loved Jesus more deeply than Mary Magdalene. And so it is only fitting that in the gospel accounts we find Mary Magdalene with the few lonely women at the foot of Jesus' cross. Almost all of the other disciples, save for John, had run and were maybe watching from a distance. Only John and these few women had the courage to come up to the foot of Jesus' cross to watch through tear-streamed eyes as he suffered there in agony and died alone. And though Mary's heart is broken, we find that it was Mary And Mary alone, who was the very first to go out in the dark of night to be at Jesus' tomb, waiting for the morning. And there she is, alone in the darkness. And not just the darkness of night, but the darkness of her soul. For though her love was strong enough to compel her to go out there in the dark all alone, in her despair, She had nothing left to hold on to. Because if Jesus was gone, really and truly gone, her world would be utterly dark once more without him. Dark around her and dark within her. What what once seemed so clear, her path in life was following Jesus wherever he went, had now just been thrown out the window, and everything was uncertain once more. Perhaps she even wondered, would those demons come back? Would they afflict and oppress and possess her once more now that Jesus was dead? We can only imagine the grief and the psychological torment that is ripping Mary apart as she stands alone in the darkness, in that gloom outside of Jesus' tomb early that Sunday morning. 
Now you have to remember that just four days earlier, none of this would have seemed imaginable to Mary. Jesus was the one sure thing upon which she had staked her entire life. And certainly the all-powerful, miracle-working, demon-exercising, dead-raising Son of God, Messiah of Israel, certainly he would not allow such an unspeakable injustice and horrific death of crucifixion to be inflicted upon him. He just wouldn't allow it. He had the power to stop it. And yet, it happened. She had seen it with her own eyes. And this one line, this one line in John chapter 20, verse 11, describes this scene so simply and yet so powerfully. It says this, Mary stood outside the tomb weeping. And so Easter morning begins with one whose hopes appear sealed in the harsh, grim, final reality of death and a tomb. And the future is now painfully uncertain. And so even once the the light begins to lift, as the sun begins to to appear on the horizon, and she, she sees that the stone has somehow been removed from the tomb. And so what does she think? Well, verses 11 and 12 tells us, as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now it's immediately clear that in this moment, Mary is not even contemplating the possibility that Jesus has risen from the dead. Even the, the, the surprising presence of these two angels in white doesn't even seem to trigger that thought for her. Because her only assumption is a very human one that I think all of us can identify with. After we've seen a dead body, and if you've ever been to a funeral and, and done the viewing and seen the body, once you've seen it and you know really and truly that they are gone, then if that body is no longer in the grave, it can only mean one thing, and that is that someone has moved it. And that's what Mary says. They have taken my Lord away, and I do not know where they have laid him. And so then in the the new light of dawn, still wondering where have they taken his body, Mary becomes aware of a presence behind her. Verse 14. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him. And I will take him away. Now don't miss this. Jesus is standing right there. Right in front of her. But because of what she'd experienced watching him die. Because of her personal pain. And because of her undoubtedly tear-filled eyes. Swollen from hours of, of just crying and grief. She doesn't even recognize him. 
And to her, the only thing that made sense was that this man who was asking her why she was weeping and whom she was seeking was the gardener. And so too for each one of us, the hope of Easter morning begins right there in our doubt, in our pain, in our grief. Where because of all of our life's troubles and and what we've experienced and our own sin within us condemning our hearts, we often, like Mary, fail to recognize Jesus' presence even though he's standing right in front of us. But though Mary failed to immediately recognize her Lord, just one word from him changed everything. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary. He said her name. That's it. One word, Mary. And that one word, hearing her name spoken from the lips of her Lord, that one word cut through all of her pain, her confusion, her grief, and Mary finally recognized him for who he was, and she cried out, Rabbi! And she flings her arms around him. And you see, for Mary, hearing her name on the lips of her Lord changed her life forever. And so too, hearing your name on the lips of the Lord can change your life forever. Jesus came to Mary because he knew she needed him. And so too, Jesus comes to each one of us because he knows better than us how desperately we need him. And so Jesus comes to us, each in our own unique way, and he says our name, your name and mine. To Israel of old, God said to them through the prophet Isaiah, Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. And in the same way today, Jesus says it to each one of us. Do not be afraid. I have redeemed you. Look at the price I paid. My nail-scarred hands, the ones he showed to Thomas, who doubted. Feel my side where the spear pierced me. I paid the price. I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. So let me just ask you, have you heard Jesus say your name? It might not have been audible. It wasn't for me. But my soul heard him. Heard that whisper. Say, Danny, I love you. You are mine. I have redeemed you. Have you heard him whisper your name? Have you responded? Because like Mary Magdalene, only Jesus can deliver us from the power of sin and Satan. Only Jesus can cut through the most painful and desperate moments of our lives and transform them from gloom to light, from death to life, and from despair to living hope. 
1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 4 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. My friends, God's living Son is our living hope. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. So what are you anchoring your soul to in this troubled time, in this troubled life? I'll tell you right now, That if you are anchoring yourself to anything or anyone other than Jesus, it will fail you. It will let you down and you will be washed away in the torrent. For it is only by responding to Jesus calling your name personally, by placing your faith in his finished work on the cross and in his victory over death, that the Holy Spirit will take up residence within your soul. You will hear the whisper of the Spirit say your name. You are mine. I have redeemed you. And give you that living hope as an anchor strong enough to withstand any hurricane, yes, even death itself. This anchor of resurrection hope, it's like receiving good news ahead of its time. Murdo Ewan MacDonald was an American army chaplain during World War II. He was captured and spent the remainder of the war ministering to American POWs in the war camps there in Germany. He later shared how he had first learned of the D-Day Normandy invasions. It was early in the morning of D-Day, and he was awakened and told that a Scotsman in the British prisoner of war camp wanted to see him. And so MacDonald ran to the barbed wire that separated the two camps. And there the Scot, who was in touch with the BBC by underground radio, spoke two words in Gaelic, which meant, they have come. And MacDonald ran back to the American camp and began spreading the news. They have come. They have come. And the news quickly spread like wildfire through the POW camps that the Allied forces had landed at Normandy. They have come. And the reaction was incredible. Men began jumping up and hooting and hollering. They hugged each other. They ran outdoors. Some even rolled on the ground like little children in just pure joy. And the German guards who were watching all of this thought they'd all just gone crazy. For the fact remained that they were still prisoners, still held within razor wire fences, still with their captors' machine guns pointed at them. But though outwardly nothing had changed, inwardly they now knew that everything was different. And that good news that they have come set their spirits free. That's the hope that changes the circumstances of life. Isn't that just like our world today? Yes, we still see all the same old enemies surrounding us. They're still there. 
And people might look at us jumping up and down for joy on Easter Sunday and thinking, they've gone crazy. Nothing's changed. In fact, things seem to have gotten worse. But here's the difference. Jesus is alive. And through faith, our souls have been saved. We are anchored, firm, and secure in Jesus Christ. So let me ask you just once more as we close. Is your soul firm and secure in Jesus Christ today? Are you sure? Are you certain? Have you placed your faith in him? If not, you can change that right now. Because I believe Jesus is calling your name. Wherever you are, if you pray this simple prayer along with me, and pray it from your heart, I'll just share a few words for you, but this is a prayer from your heart. For like Mary Magdalene, this could be your moment that changes everything. One word. All because you meet the risen Jesus for the first time. Recognize him for who he truly is and hear your name on his lips. Respond. He's calling. Respond and discover that in this world that's unraveling around us, he's the one sure thing. Would you bow with me? Heavenly Father, I pray simply for your spirit to stir this word in listening hearts right now. And that Holy Spirit, if you have laid this conviction on anyone's heart today, that they recognize that they have not yet responded in faith to Jesus' call, I pray that you would just give them a freedom in this moment to pray this prayer along with me from their hearts. Lord Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross in my place to pay the full weight, the full debt of my sin, to redeem me, to forgive me, and to set me free. I believe that you rose from the dead and that you are alive forever. And so now I invite you to come into my life as my Savior and my Lord. I commit myself to following you. Please come in and change everything. I welcome you in Jesus' name. And now, Father, I pray that if anyone prayed this prayer from their heart, would you give them the freedom of your spirit in this moment to know that their lives have passed from death to life, from gloom to hope. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will seal this. And now, Lord, for all of us who just needed this word of hope for today, that we knew our, our souls are anchored firmly in you, I pray that it would just be all the more real in these times. Give us strength and courage for the days to come. May your name be on our lips, just as our names are on yours. In these days we pray. Amen. God bless you, and have a very happy Easter.